Greetings, podcast listeners. This is Art Wright, and this is our series on reading Revelation in a pandemic. This is week three, and my co-host today is none other than Beth McMahon. Beth, you know, you've been attending Tabernacle for you and your husband for quite a while now, but um, some folks might not know you. So I'm wondering if you can just tell us a little bit about who you are and how long y'all have been at Tabernacle. Sure. Thanks, Art. It's great to be here. Terry and I have been at Tabernacle uh, five years as of this month. Um, wow. So that surprises me, too. It's, time flies when you're having fun, right? Is that a tabiversary? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we love tab. I also love saying tab. You know, TVC is so pedestrian. We'll call it tab because it's cool. Yes. Um we knew a lot of people before we came there, but we were at another church here in town uh, for 25 years, which we also love very much. Yeah. But some some changes there uh, kind of led our path in a different direction. And so we're grateful to be part of Tabernacle. Um, we're currently involved in helping with the live stream ministry and um, just um, learning to do church in new ways along with everybody else. That's right. Yeah, that's great. Well, it's it's so good to have you with us today. And um, for those of y'all that are listening in, Beth and I are, are recording via Zoom as usual. So we're maintaining proper social distancing boundaries through the power of the internet. So, um, <laughs> well, Beth, you have been with this little, we have a little Revelation Facebook group, and we know some folks aren't a part of the Facebook group, but are listening in anyway. Um, I, I wonder if you could tell us briefly before before we started this series, what was your background with Revelation? <laughs> yes, I had the same love-hate relationship everybody else has with it. Um, I yeah. loved listening to the first two episodes uh, because, you know, the themes are just so strong. But I, a lot of us have had the same kind of hmm. um, experience or lack of experience with Revelation. Um most of my life, it was kind of a mysterious thing to me. Hmm. Um, it also, I also had my own revelation trauma, like Kristen Koger. Um, only mine dates back to the 1970s. Okay. Uh, I was in a small church in Michigan. And back in the days when you had to rent a projector and find a screen and set it up and thread film through the projector, we had a movie at church about the tribulation oh wow it was called a thief a thief in the night and i cannot believe it but this morning i found it on youtube and wow. it <laughs> traumatized me oh, <clears throat> traumatized me oh my gosh because it was basically it was basically about people getting left behind mm, mm-hmm. and there was a 70s song that they used as the theme and i i knew it growing up too and it was basically there's no time to change your mind the sun has come and you've been left behind yeah, it really it is like a fear-based, like a fear-based approach to faith and evangelism, right? Like, sort of scared yeah. the hell out of you. Exactly. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, that was kind of part of my foundation with Revelation. It doesn't leave a real good taste in your mouth, and you know, basically, I think I turned it off for a long time, mm-hmm. and not just because of trauma, but just because it's it's one of those parts of the Bible that you read and go, "This is the strangest book in the world." You know, if we're honest, there's a whole lot of the Bible that you kind of go, this just doesn't make any sense to me. Right. How does this have anything to do with the world I live in? Right. With my life. Uh, uh, so, Revelation was kind of out of the picture for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, and then I found an author who was really helpful to me that I'll talk about some more. Uh, oh, I think yeah. Today, that kind of um, helped frame it up for me in a way that, not only made sense, but made it very relevant and very challenging. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. It's a strange book of the Bible, you know. Uh, it's funny. I mean, I think trauma might be a, a good word in terms of like it has, um, I mean, probably turned some people away from faith, the, the approach that um, some have taken with Revelation throughout church history. And it's it just ends up being maybe a, a poor reading of Revelation. Um, and that's one of, maybe one of the things we're trying to do with this series is redeem the book and and um, try to see you know I don't think that the author is trying to um, is trying to run a fear based angle I think that the author is actually more of a like a worship based angle like here is God mm-hmm. here is Jesus 
here's what, you know, heaven looks like with these throngs of people worshiping. The the world might look one way, but I want to show you the way that things really are. Uh, And it's Mm -hmm. not so much to scare you, but to invite you in to um, the goodness that John sees, to to sort of John's way of seeing the world uh, and heaven. So, well, um, I'm so glad that we get a chance to talk about this and kind of pick it apart a little bit together and sit with it for a while. For our um, podcast listeners, this week we are talking about Revelation's letters to the seven churches in chapters two and three. We won't be able to read all of the seven churches, but we'll at least talk about two or three of them and kind of, um, you know, I would certainly encourage you if you're listening in, read all of chapter two and three after this podcast, or you might pause right now and just go read it before we start talking. Um, But Revelation is unique in that it's an apocalypse, but it also has these seven letters um, near the beginning to these seven churches that Kristen and I talked about last week. Ephesus. And by the way, Art, I was... Oh, yeah. I was so relieved that you asked me to uh, help you work, you know, kind of think about these passages and because I was like, oh, good. These are kind of like practical and realistic and I don't have to get into all that woo woo weird stuff. And then I read them. Oh, well. They are a little bit more accessible. Yeah. You know, maybe they are, but they they still got some woo woo in them. Yes. Uh, no, no beasts with ten horns or seven heads or yeah, that's true. That's whatever. True. Yeah, okay. you're right. You're right. I think okay. you're right. They're, they totally are. Right. They're more practical and accessible because the author is speaking to these seven churches, um, which are all um, in the western part of Turkey, uh, what we would call Turkey today. Um, and uh, the author is off offering words of praise and, and comfort, but also critique and and um, challenge to them. So um, I, I sent Beth a map, and maybe we'll post this on the Facebook page. But if you look, um, you can even Google seven, seven churches of Revelation and look at them on a map. They're sort of in a row. Um, you can almost imagine someone carrying this, this letter or this um, document revelation from one church to another and sort of stopping at one, sort of like a little preaching tour or, or reading tour, um, sharing, this, um, sharing this, this message. So as I, I think about it, Beth, I wonder if it, what you think. I can imagine, you know, you know, if you're in Pergamum, you hear this entire document, uh, but you hear this part to you, but you're also overhearing letters to the other churches too. Here's what John is telling Thyatira or Jesus. Uh, here's what they're telling Philadelphia. So there's a sense that each church also benefits and overhears from what the other churches are hearing. And then um, we, we find ourselves in a similar situation and that we're listening in and eavesdropping on these letters too, um, so that they become messages to us as well, uh, both in terms of um, encouragement and also challenge. So we can jump into reading some of the letters. We had talked previously, uh, podcast listeners, um, we were trying to pick our favorite churches. We said maybe Ephesus and Pergamum and... Uh, Laodicea, right? Um, yeah, definitely Laodicea. La- definitely Laodicea. That was another. That was another seventy song, by the way. Stephen Stephen Camp. Oh, We've interesting. Been living in Laodicea, and the fire <laughs> that once burned bright has grown so dim, and the very one that we said that we would die for has been forgotten. If the world's become our friend, and I, th- you know, I thought of that. I was like, oh, that was one of those old songs from back then. And then I looked at it, and I was like, well, you know, he kind of got the gist of it. Um, the world, you know, we've, we've abandoned, uh, who we're called to be. So. Yeah. Well, and that, and that things, sort of things comes can up, speak from the seventies. That's right. The seventies, 1970s, the nineties the AD. So, so we're going to pick up at chapter two, chapter two, verse one to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And this is in quotes for our podcast listeners. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. I know that you cannot tolerate evildoers. You have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. I also know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for the sake of my name and that you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember then from what you have fallen Repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. 
Yeah, this is to your credit. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, I will give permission to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. All right. For podcast listeners, I'll, I'll just sort of point out that all seven letters are, are for, formulaic in a sense. You'll see um, this, is, this is presumably Jesus speaking to John, uh, and, and it's, it's sort of interesting how it says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. We'll unpack that in, in a, a couple minutes, I think. But to the angel in the church of Ephesus, each of these is formulaic. Jesus will say he knows something about the church. He will offer a, a word of praise and he will offer a word of critique and then a word of promise or encouragement um, or, or hope. And so we sort of see that. Uh, I know your works, your toil. I know that you cannot. Uh, I know that you're patiently enduring. You guys are doing a good job. Keep it up. Verse four, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Um, and, he, and he goes on and sort of offers a word of challenge. Uh, and then to everyone who conquers, uh, there's this, I will give permission to eat from the tree of life in verse seven that is in the paradise of God. So that's the formula we'll see in all of these letters. Um, Beth, what do you, what, you know, we can kind of talk our way around this and what we're getting from it. What, what stands out to you? Well, the thing that um, has always kind of grabbed me about these letters is just this little detail at the beginning um, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Um, and also, by the way, the other thing that's kind of interesting is that little lead-in for the first few churches also refers back to the first chapter. You remember you and KK were talking about kind of the attributes of this son of man or this, this vision of Jesus that he's seeing with the seven golden lampstands and the seven stars and the swords coming out of his mouth and all that. It's interesting that those come back up. Um, yeah, I noticed that in but, re- yeah, um, reading. But the angel thing, all this has been interesting to me. Why would you just not write a letter to the church, to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Smyrna? Yeah. What's this angel stuff? Yeah. So um, this is this is where the author that I was alluding to earlier has been really helpful to me um, in bringing this kind of out of the realm of woo-woo into, into the realm of, <laughs> wow, that kind of makes sense. So um, so angels, we kind of think of as, as these disembodied beings. And there's been a lot of interest in such in angels recently. But, but still, they're kind of not like a provable part of our worldview, right? Well, the, the author who has helped me is, is Walter Wink. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, actually has passed away, but he was professor of uh, biblical interpretation at Auburn Theological Seminary in New York and also taught at Union Seminary in New York. Um, and his big area of interest evolved into looking at what he calls the powers and what the Bible calls the mm. powers and principalities. Mm. Um, so, you know, the, if it's in the Bible, is it just woo-woo? Why is it there? You know, what does it have to do with us? So he has a book called The Powers That Be that's kind of an accessible level version of, of his writings. If you're an academic like you are, you could read his more extensive books. He's got like five different books on the powers. Wow. But I just went with the easy one. <laughs> it's called The Powers That Be. And he unpacks um, some differences in worldviews, starting with the ancient worldview of the Bible, um, where he's talking about in that worldview, heaven and earth are two realms that reflect each other. So if something is happening on earth, it's reflecting what is going on in heaven. It's a, it's a physical manifestation of the spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we get, you know, years, centuries later, we get into the modernist worldview. Um, and we're basically saying, well, all that spiritual stuff is just mumbo jumbo because you can't prove it physically. We've now learned, you know, that science can describe the reality of the world to us. And so what use do we really have for that spiritual stuff anymore? Reality is physical. Well, in reaction to that, Mm -hmm. uh, the people who were still um, pursuing the spiritual, you know, the religious folks and and theologians and such as that, developed a theological worldview as a way to kind of bring back that spiritual realm. And basically, they, that view says that the spiritual realm is real, but it is divorced from the material realm. Mm. Uh, so reality is kind of split in two. Hmm, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Science is interested in the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm is divorced from science, but they're both real. Well, that's, that was good as far as it went, but it kind of left us with this 
sense of woo woo, you know, okay, angels, that's nice. There's religious people believe in those, but non-religious people don't. Right. Yeah. So he points to, um, and and he was writing back in the eighties and nineties, everything I've ever learned must've been, you know, 30 years ago. I really need to catch up. But he was pointing to some emerging thought that has emerged even more since then. Um, you know, that was when the new physics was starting to take shape. People were looking at quantum physics. Um, and there were a lot of other thinkers that I'm not familiar with, but that he points out. Um, basically, we're starting to see that these two things are two aspects of the same thing, that the mm. physical and the spiritual are, are inextricably linked, mm. and that the physical really is a manifestation of the spiritual, but they, they both exist in this realm. So it's really recapturing that biblical worldview, that ancient worldview of heaven and earth are both realities and they are, they are linked. But now it's bringing them in to say, no, no, they really are physically linked. Then when he starts explaining it, it's really kind of common sense. Think about, for instance, school spirit. School spirit is a real thing, right? You've got mascot, uh, you've got people, you know, who feel strongly about a school, who are cheering, who put energy into that. It creates energy. And it's something that's more than just the sum of the parts, right? So it's not just that people get together and there's a hundred people cheering, but there's kind of an enduring quality to it. And it's bigger than just those however many people, right? right? It takes on kind of a life of its own. But it also has a physical manifestation. It has, we have things like mascots and buildings and campuses and um, those kinds of things. And we also have the actions that that school takes in the world so that it's an animating feature, uh, an animating force, an inner energy that has outer effects and expression. Mm-hmm. And it is more than the sum of the parts. Now, to, to take this one step further... So you posit, okay, that spirituality is a real thing, um, and it's physically manifested. So you've got an inner reality, an outer reality. Even more than that, you've got the opportunity to do good or to do evil. Hmm. So um, we know that, for instance, and it's it's not just churches that have this, it's, it's everything. We know, for instance, that corporations they can do really good things. We know some corporations that have contributed great things to our lives that do right. good things in the world. We know some corporations that have done some very evil and unethical things. Mm. Um, in the same way, churches. Uh, Heaven knows. It, we know. Is <laughs> it ahead. fair to say that sometimes those are one and the same? Like sometimes corporations do really good things and then the same corporations do really bad things. And church, I mean, and absolutely to, to some degree, that's what we're seeing absolutely. in Revelation. Like, Good job, but. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And that's exactly what these letters are speaking to, I think. Uh, Just to take it one half step further and to build on what you're saying. So the the force for good um, is what the Bible calls the angel of Mm. the church. So that's Mm. the call, the purpose, the vocation of the church. That's what God dreams of them being. Mm. When that gets left behind or twisted or abandoned at its most extreme, that's what the Bible's talking about when it says demonic. Mm-hmm. So that there aren't, you know, little spirits that come up from some fiery place underground, but it's the it's the destructive the expression of the destructive impulses of an institution that's meant for good but has lost its purpose mm. and has lost its way. And then as you say, most of us are both, aren't we? Uh, most of our institutions are both, even as most of us as individuals are both. Yeah. So that was a really helpful and powerful concept for me and also helped. Um, it's really helpful to get away from that, you know, thief in the night left behind stuff. That's all about me as an individual hmm. and instead realize, as you and KK said last week, these letters are addressed to the churches. So they're corporate. And they're not only addressed to the churches, they're addressed to the angel of the churches. Mm. Let's remember what your essence is, who God has made you to be, what God mm. dreams for you. Here's what I want to say to you about who you're meant to be. I'm writing to your angel, really kind of to your better nature, right? 
we have that phrase, the angels of our better nature. Yeah. So maybe we've known this all along somehow. So um, that, that was really helpful to me. Yeah, I think that's great. And um, it, it certainly does speak to that there's an awareness that the, the, the spiritual reality and the physical reality are connected. And, and yeah, when you read to the angel of the church of Ephesus, it, it can sound weird to modern readers. I mean, it's really to the church at Ephesus, but it's, it's written in a way that evokes the spiritual realities. I, I couldn't help but think while you were talking about the way that, you know, the pandemic, we've hinted at this a little bit in the podcast, the pandemic has been a revelatory moment for mm-hmm. us in many ways. And one of the things that I think it's revealing is um, cracks in the fabric of our culture and our politics, right? Uh, I, I mean, the, like, it's, it's, I'm flabbergasted at the way that, you know, face masks of all things have become this sort of like politicized, you know, topic. And we could point to any number of things, you know, that, that have been surprisingly politicized in this moment. And I think what that speaks to is not just sort of like a political crisis, but a crisis of the heart, maybe our collective heart. Mm -hmm. And so that's maybe Mm -hmm. one way that I, I hear what you're speaking to playing out in this moment, you know, what, what might John have to say to the angel of the country of America today? You're, you're, you're doing mm-hmm. this thing good, but I have this against you. What are you guys doing? <laughs> Come on, pull it together. Well, that, I think that's an example of where we have, um, we maybe have kind of lost our angel in a lot of ways because we talk about believing in, you know, um, everybody being equal and everybody having opportunity and everybody having enough. And yet at the same time, those forces that I think were animating forces in not only in the early days of our country, but I think they're still there, Mm -hmm. but they've gotten twisted and turned into something that becomes destructive Mm -hmm. um, because we, because we've lost them lost Mm -hmm. track of them yeah and some of us might say that we feel you know whether we mean it literally or spiritually or symbolically demonic forces you know i mean it just feels Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. feels terrible at times well i think that's part of wink's pointing what wink is pointing to demonic forces aren't just spiritual they're they're a reality Mm -hmm. um they're a physical reality they're a physical manifestation Mm -hmm. of an inner animating spirituality, spiritual mm-hmm. force. So, so we don't have to dismiss them. Um, and, and we, and I think, I think when we call them what they are and face them, I think that gives us the ability to um, interact with them in ways that um, can take away their power. They become not just this mysterious thing that's out beyond us, but they become something real that we can actually do something about. And I think that's part of what the letters here in Revelation are pointing to as well. Mm -hmm. I think the churches are being challenged with, look, here's this empire that has views that are the opposite, values that are the opposite of God's dreams of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, I was thinking about... um, the uh, I mean, all these churches are being called away from what idolatry and mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. and compromise and all that kind of thing, um, and they're being called to something else. So it's 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 reality. Maybe we come back to that after we look at the the letters just a little bit more, huh? Absolutely, I'm yeah. Maybe getting ahead of us. That's okay. No, it's all good stuff. Yeah, I, I'm always happy to talk about the Roman Empire. <laughs> so. I, <laughs> Art has a really strange idea of fun. <laughs> I do. Art, Art, let's sit around and talk about the Roman Empire. <laughs> so I, I wanted to point out a couple things that sort of attracted my attention in, in this particular letter, and then maybe we can bump over to Pergamum briefly. Um, I, you know, I, I love this chapter two, verse four, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. I wonder how relatable that is to so many of us, because for so many of us, when we come to faith or come to a deeper awareness of faith, we have this sort of like burst of excitement or energy. And honestly, we have this in maybe romantic relationships too. Um, But over time, it begins to wane, right? Um, And our enthusiasm Mm -hmm. for spiritual, you know, the spiritual life or devotion to God wanes. Um, 
but love demands that it's not just a feeling, but, but something that we're actively working towards. Right. And so I, I like this sort of challenge in the way that John calls out these, these Christians, you've abandoned the love you had at first, you know, you've got to work at it. And, uh, well, and then art is, yeah, it's interesting too, though, because I just this minute noticed you can kind of read it another way too. Um, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, you don't tolerate evil delusions, you've tested those who claim to be apostles, the boundary faults, you're enduring patiently, you're bearing up, but you're not doing this with love. Mm, the love yeah. has fallen out. You've, you've become uh, judgmental, cold. Um, you know, you're, you're all about dividing the wheat and the chaff, but you're not about redemption. Mm-hmm. Never saw that before. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so much good stuff we could talk about here. Maybe we'll pick up the Nicolaitans and Pergamum um, because they're there too. Those dastardly evildoers. <laughs> what if we, yeah. What if we bump over to Pergamum, which is chapter two, verses 12 to 17. Um, and we can talk about them for a couple minutes uh, and see how we're Great. doing. And the angel of the church in Pergamum, right. These are the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. See, there's that sword coming out of his That's mouth right. again. Yeah. I know where you are living, where Satan's throne is, yet you are holding back to my name, and you, do not, you did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan lives. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the people of Israel so that they would eat food sacrificed to idols and practice fornication. Oh, so there so were... you also have some who... I'll read one more and then I'll shut up. So oh, you okay. also have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent then. <laughs> if not, I will come to you soon and make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give a white stone, and on the white stone is written a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. Whew, this is a doozy. Okay, what's up with all that? (laughs) (laughs) I sure hope you know the answers are, because I'm not getting this. (laughs) Notice... You know, this is like littered with Old Testament references. I don't think we've said this in the podcast, but there are more references to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation than there are verses in the book of Revelation. It's it's oh my goodness. chocked full of Old Testament references. I mean, this person uh, read their Hebrew Bible. Um, so, yeah, any, I mean, hidden manna, obviously, this is like, you know, bread that will sustain you. If you, if you conquer, if you persevere in your faithfulness, I will give you some of the hidden manna. And again, I don't think we should overinterpret that other than saying, um, I will continue to sustain you in this, in this hard work. I will help you endure. And you know what I do notice there, Art? One of the complaints is that they're eating food sacrificed to idols. So there's mm. that eating you know, trying to provide for yourself versus God providing for you. And they're both, they're both eating related. That's kind yeah. Of I had never noticed that. That's fascinating. <laughs> so mm-hmm. one of the things, and we see this come up in, in first Corinthians of all places. And um, I, I believe um, week one, we talked a little bit about this. When you're a, a Christian in Asia minor in the first century, um, you especially in these cities, there's, there's temples that are dedicated to various gods and the Roman emperor and um, they sacrifice meat and then they sell it in the market or they have festivals and um, everyone comes. And uh, it's awkward if you don't show up because your neighbors notice, hey, I noticed you weren't at the, you know, I don't know, that, that awesome, um, you know, festival we had for the emperor's birthday last weekend. We were barbecuing on the back patio of that temple or whatever. Uh, and so it's... <laughs> When we, when we talk about persecution in Revelation, most scholars now wouldn't say it's a physical persecution, although evidently this text names Antipas, and he's the only named martyr besides Jesus in the book of Revelation. Um, so apparently there was maybe some physical violence, but um, in, in many cases we think it's sort of like social pressure and ostracism for not participating in pagan cultic activity or emperor worship. And and so we see Balaam and Balak. These are Old Testament names um, that the author is using to describe 
evidently someone in the community that's pressuring people, you know, just go ahead and eat the meat. It's not a big deal. It's good. It's healthy. And and the Nicolaitans may be sort of similar things. I've heard a little bit about the cult of the emperor. I'm I'm always curious. Um, you know, like it was a surprise to me when you all said, well, maybe this was more just kind of social pressure and not, um, not quite the level of intensity that we expected. Yeah. Imagine you go to a baseball game, which many people would probably love to do right now. Uh, and the, you're here. Yeah. And, um, Gary Jones. Yeah, you know, they do the the national anthem at the beginning. Everyone's, what do they do? They all stand up and put their hands on their hearts. Imagine if you sit down uh, through that, the sort of like awkwardness that you would feel. But we don't have to imagine that, do we, Art? No. Let's think about Colin Kaepernick. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, that. That's a little beyond awkward. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, if you're a national figure, I mean, you know, he made, you know, front page news. You, you know, in Richmond, Virginia might not make front page news, but you would feel the awkwardness of, from your neighbors and, and colleagues. And, mm-hmm. you know, you mm-hmm. might be a member of a trade guild that, um, that, you know, is devoted to one of the Greco-Roman gods. And if you don't show up at the festivals, you might not get invited to, you know, the, all of the like, you know, jobs that, that this trade guild participates in. And so there, there could be economic so disadvantage. Might, so you might so, lose uh, opportunities for income and as well as like friendships, fellowships, fitting in, feeling uh, connected. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, absolutely. So there's a yeah. real economic edge to it too. Oh yeah. Yeah. So socioeconomic, mm-hmm. political, it's sort of mm-hmm. religious. I mean, it's all, you know, so there's a, a scholar named Craig Coester, uh, and he sketches it out that, that the churches that Revelation addresses sort of fall into three camps. Some are complacent. Uh, some are more or less comfortably accommodated to life within the Roman Empire. They're just like, let's go participate, you know, in these, you know, pagan cultic rituals and, and feasts and festivals we're living comfortably. Our faith doesn't really challenge us or, or, or ask us to take any risks. Um, and then there are churches that are suffering persecution. And, you know, the response of, of John is we need to distance ourselves and separate ourselves from anything that reeks of, of this um, Roman imperial power and oppression. Um, separate anything that, that has a whiff of idolatry. They, they use the word fornication here in, in, in 14, and that's sort of a code word for idolatry and food sacrifice to idols. We, we just don't want to participate in anything that views any, anyone other than Jesus and God as Lord. And we want to work to, toward that vision of the world, not this vision of the world uh, that Rome offers. It's based in domination and power and hierarchy and status, uh, and wealth, and money, and, and the haves and the have-nots. And John will come around to talking about um, enslavement of, of people in, later in this book. So every church and every Christian must wrestle with this question, what does it mean to live as a Christian in the midst of Roman imperial culture? And, and, we, and we might, you know, say, what does it mean to live as a Christian in the midst of American imperial culture, too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at, at American imperial culture today, ooh, art. Um, when we were talking before the podcast, um, you raised a really good question, and well, you just raised it again. You know, what does what might um, what might Jesus be saying to our churches, particularly in our current context of hmm. the pandemic and all the awareness of racial injustice? Um, and, you know, I, I thought a lot about that. I thought that was a really helpful, challenging question uh, because it brings it out of the ancient past into mm-hmm. now. Um, and I realized, you know, I, I, I don't know fully, um, but I think there's some clues in this passage because the, these messages are all addressed to the angel of the churches, to their true self, to their mm-hmm. vo- vocation, to their essence. And it says, let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit mm-hmm. is saying to the churches. Mm-hmm. So I think it starts with listening. And we're listening for what? Well, if the message of the book or the message of these of these letters is to not live the values of Rome, 
but to be kind of outposts of what Clarence Jordan called in the Cotton Patch Gospel Translation, God's new order of the spirit. That got me thinking about um, images of that in scripture. You know, at the end of Revelation, we're going to see the new Jerusalem coming Mm -hmm. down from heaven, right? The fulfillment of God's vision. And that started in Genesis with the garden and the the picture of Shalom. I was listening to somebody's podcast recently. I wish I could give credit to them, but they were talking about um, shalom. There's not really an English translation for that word, but it's a, a wholeness and a fullness and all is well, all is as it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. So that's God's dream for the world. And that led me to thinking about Jesus uh, at the beginning of his ministry, when he goes into the synagogue and affirms his mission and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. So mm. listen to the spirit because the spirit has anointed me to what? Bring good news to the poor, mm. proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the time of the Lord's Savior, to proclaim that Shalom is here among us. And what could be more countercultural than that? You think of these values that you just named of, of any empire, not just Rome, but any, every empire throughout history, including our mm-hmm. own, um, that power over, that mm-hmm. control based on the threat of violence, that value that's based on utility and status, that kind of commodification of mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. Um, that hierarchical approach, and that self-interest and self-preservation. Um, I think all empires ultimately become more concerned about their own preservation than the well-being of the people who make them up. So you put those two things alongside each other, and I think that can guide our listening. And I think our listening, that also tells us that then our listening should be not from the top down, which is the imperial way, but from the bottom up. Who should we listen to? Um, Well, we should probably listen to the folks who are not benefiting. Um, Maybe it means we should look honestly at the ways people are being overlooked in nursing homes and prisons and meatpacking plants, places Mm -hmm. where people don't have agency and power. Maybe it means we think about who we're protecting by wearing masks and Mm -hmm. distancing, the people who are most, most vulnerable, Um, who, by the way, aren't all people over 65. They're people throughout our society. I heard a story today about a 17-year-old girl who ended up being airlifted to the hospital and died the next day. Mm. So it's all of us. Yeah. We take an honest look maybe at the history of race in Richmond. Yeah. Um, And the, the ways that our laws and zoning and structures of government and informal structures have created disadvantages for people of color. We consider who doesn't have a voice, particularly in our life together, our civic life, like maybe the people who are finding obstacles being put in the way of their being able to vote. Yeah. Um, Maybe we ask why the pandemic is sickening and killing more people of color than white people. That's not a coincidence. And we look at, so we look at things not as people who have, but as people who do not have. And I think our, maybe we've seen, I've seen from being forced into the position we've been forced into by this pandemic, I've become a little less of a have and a little more of a have not because my choices have been restricted, my freedom right. has been restricted but, uh, for very good reasons. Right. Um, not because somebody's oppressing me, but because that's what we have to do to be safe. And things look a lot different than they did. So it's a lot about your point of view. Um, yeah. And I think that's part of what these angel, what these letters to the angels are saying. Don't choose the route of living like the empire. And not just because it's bad, but, you know, not because it's wag your finger bad, but because there's no life in it. That's what idolatry is. Hmm is pointing at something that looks like God or that we decide looks like God, but it doesn't have any power. Yeah. So it's not moralistic. It's for our good. 
Yeah, and I mean, we even see this in Revelation, you know, the one that holds the power over life and death is not Rome, even though Rome thinks that Rome has that power, but it's it's Jesus, right? Uh, KK and I saw that mm-hmm. last week. It's interesting. I love that you say, listen, it starts with listening. When the, um, in the wake of the killing of George Floyd, I asked a trusted friend, I was like, what, what should I be doing right now as a, as a white person? And he said, he said, listen, just listen to the voices um, uh, of, of, you know, black lives and black experiences. And, um, you know, us, us, us white folk tend to sort of like rush in and start talking and say, all right, here's what I think on social media or whatever. I started following people on Instagram. My Instagram feed looks a lot different right now, but I sure have learned a lot about, you know, Mm a whole host of things. And, uh, you know, let, let those who have ears to hear listen, as John might say. I'd add one more thing about the listening art. Um, I'm reading a book that probably a lot of people have heard of recently because uh, it's, it's one of the many, many great books that's been put out there um, called White Fragility. Um, uh-huh. And I, I, would, I would recommend it um, because it looks at the ways that we we kind of don't even know we're white. <laughs> I'll, right. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> but I have to I have to say um, that was not a totally new thought to me, but um, it was kind of hard to read, and um, it's really easy to get defensive as a white person, and that's exactly the yeah. point of the book. But you but you know what I found helped me. Um, I've been trying to learn for like 25 years to practice centering prayer, hmm. um, which is basically learning to be still with God. Um, and I still feel like a beginner every time I sit down to practice, but it's opened up just enough space to help me be able to really listen. Hmm. Um I, I'm I'm fine. I'm able to listen, and I don't say this in a self-congratulatory way at all. But I find I'm able to listen on a different level than I have been able to when I'm not practicing regularly. Mm-hmm. So I would also highly recommend that to us as individuals because we're the individuals who make up the church, and that helps the church be able to listen. Absolutely, yes. Centering prayer has been a, a very helpful spiritual practice for me too. Um, hard to find time some days, some months, some it is. years. Oh, it is. Yeah. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. I know. I feel you. <laughs> yes. There was there was a um, Washington Post article, and I, I keep cop as I was have been preparing this series. I keep tagging um, newspaper articles, and I probably have a half dozen to a dozen now. Washington Post, Wednesday, May May twenty seventh. Pandemic has exposed nation's vulnerabilities and dangerous divide. I underline the word exposed because we could substitute that with revealed. Uh, this is, again, this sort of like apocalyptic moment. This is a quote. The, the, pe- the people most ravaged, you, you said this, I just wanted to sort of circle back around. The people most ravaged are those whose suffering often is unseen. The elderly, African-Americans, and the working poor. Um, and you know, thinking about the context of these churches, many of which are complacent and comfortable and accommodated to the status quo, uh, that's the place that I, you know, find myself in as a white middle-class male. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so this comes as a moment of revelation to me. It's it's unfortunate that it takes a pandemic to reveal this, um, to become aware of the suffering of those who are already aware of their own suffering. But, you know, now the nation is like, oh, you know, oh, that's interesting. One way that the pandemic is 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 function as an apocalyptic moment. I so agree with you on that. Um, and and at the same time, Art, I think part of the word of hope to us at that point is indeed that these letters were to the churches. Um, I one of the one of the other things I've gotten clearer on, and I haven't quite found the right outlet yet, but I it's clear to me that we're not called to be alone in wrestling mm. with this. And in trying to learn to be vulnerable and in trying to look at things from the underside and mm-hmm. to live into our call of shalom and trying to engage. Um, so I don't quite fully know where to go with that, but that's been a real clear word to me that this, isn't, this is my responsibility, but 
it's my responsibility in a community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking for my community. Yes, we we need our our community of faith and and other important conversation partners in our lives. So um, Revelation three verse fourteen. This is the last of the uh, seven letters, and and to the church, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right. The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either hot, cold or hot. Uh, so because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Uh, and that's interesting. The Greek word is actually vomit. The NRSV has, has <laughs> put a euphemism in there for us. Uh, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. So a little, have... little more vehement. Yes. <laughs> a little more vehement. <laughs> I, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Uh, you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Uh, therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be, may be rich and white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you, and you with me. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying mm. to the churches. So it's interesting. If you ever go to Laodicea, I mean, each of these letters is contextual. The water at Laodicea flows over limestone cliffs, and it's it's sort of like this warm, unpleasant, um, sulfur smell smelling water. And so it really is this like lukewarm water at Laodicea that is is not pleasant to drink. And, and there are a couple of neighboring cities there in, in Western Turkey, Hierapolis um, in the first century in Colossae, which is where Paul, Paul's letter to the Colossians. Um, Hierapolis has hot spring water, which is therapeutic. That's good. Colossae is known for its cold drinking water, which is also good. So cold and hot are good, lukewarm, not hot. And that's where Laodicea is, is hitting. What, what stands out to you from this text or what, why is this so, such an uh, inviting text to you? I, well, I was partly interested in it because Terry actually did a video production trip many years ago. Sorry for another old story. Um, <laughs> nothing's happened in my life in the last 20 years. Terry did a production trip there and actually got to go to Laodicea. And so the oh. other thing was that they had these long aqueducts that actually carried the water. They didn't have water nearby. So that was the other way it got kind of just nasty because um, it was out in the open and had stuff falling in it and such as that. Uh-huh. Um, it, it is interesting that the Laodicean Christians seem to, um, their confidence that they have, and I wonder how much confidence we have as white American Christians based in their prosperity and wealth, mm-hmm. right? We're comfortable. We've mm-hmm. got it made. Mm-hmm. Um, these, these same terms um, to prosper and to grow rich are going to come back around in chapter 18 to condemn Rome uh, and, and merchants who um, have associated with and benefited from the empire. John, of course, is suggesting that true wealth comes from none of those things, but from faithfulness to Christ. And so that's what John is calling this church back to. This also brings to mind what we were just talking about, um, where the message is, you do not realize that you're mm. wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So again, it's an, it's an expose of the bankruptcy of the values of the empire. You think you've got it made, people. You don't even know what you're missing out on. Hmm. You you don't even know what you don't know. Um, so that's really interesting. And then the good the good word is, it's not just a word of condemnation. But listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. Let me in. You know, let's sit down and eat. Let's let's have this richness of relationship and richness of fellowship. And let me show you what real life is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's an encouraging word. Yeah. I loved the phrase you used earlier, um, commodification of people. Those of us that are in comfortable places of empire don't often see the ways in which empire chews up and spits out people. We, you know, we benefit from the labor 
and struggles of, of people who are not in this comfortable, cozy center of empire. And uh, yeah, we just don't see it until someone points it out. And that, I think that's what John is doing or trying to do for these, um, these Christians. And John sees through and John can see the ways in which empire is destructive to so many. Uh, and yet the Laodicean Christians in their comfort can't see it. So, well, let's take a step back and um, we're wrapping up. Um, and any thoughts on like sort of a big takeaway for you today um, from our conversation, which has been so good so far? Mm, I've really found it encouraging too, Art. Um, I, I, think, I think my takeaway is to, um, to not look away hmm. and to listen. Um, it's really easy to go into self-preservation mode mm. and to focus on the things that are hard for me and then to focus on the things that where I have it good and go, Oh, well, too bad for everybody else. Um, yeah. which I think is part of what these letters are about, isn't it? Um, but listening. Yeah. I think listening also from the bottom up is another good takeaway. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think that's a good, you know, I can imagine if I was sitting in Laodicea in the late first century hearing these words, I would immediately put up my defenses and like, no, I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm doing a good job as a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm tempted yeah. to do Look that. Look at everything I've got. Yeah. I'm tempted to do that today. So e- each of these letters asks that their recipients begin with listening listen to what John is saying, but not just John, Jesus, right? Um, Listen to the message that is being shared. Um, It's only then that we can, you know, start to think, okay, what does it look like to, to, to change directions to, you know, to use some of this language to repent and change course Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and one, you know, wonder what it looks like to follow more faithfully and two, to start working towards this vision of a world that reflects God's heart and God's kingdom and God's desire and love for all people rather than Rome's or, or America's. Well, this is, Beth, this has been such a, a delightful conversation. Um, it's been, it's been so great talking to you and, hearing one about your, your previous life with revelation and now this sort of like um, reemergent <laughs> awareness of the ways in which it, it um, does hold powerful truth to us today as Christians. I guess this means I won't have to like wake up every morning and, and check to see if Terry got raptured in the night and I got left behind. I don't think you have to worry about that. <laughs> that's yes. A, that's a relief. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I remember as a kid having a couple of moments like that where I like couldn't find anybody. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I had one yesterday. Terry had gone up the driveway to cut some limbs or something. And I, I, I had no idea where he was. I was on the phone when he left and he, he was gone. So I thought, oh no, what's happened? <laughs> You know, this this is going to be bonus information only for the reader or the listeners that are still left behind at the end of this podcast. The word rapture does not appear in the book of Revelation. It's it's um, imported. It's an imported concept. We won't read the word rapture. In. No. Yeah. No. Sorry. All right. Yeah. You, you just you, you just blew my mind. You just blew my mind. Yeah. Well, that's I, another podcast I don't know what for another day. Okay, we've said enough today. Yeah, thank you again. This has been (laughs) so great. Yeah, Um, podcast listeners, thanks for sticking with us to the very end. Uh, We will look forward to some conversation on Facebook and then look forward to uh, more conversations next week. Take care.